Good morning. Anybody really like waiting? You know, like that's super high on your list, like you're putting that on your, uh, your eHarmony profile. Loves long walks on the beach and waiting. <laughs> Nobody likes waiting. Like, we don't enjoy that. Waiting's not a fun thing. If, if you need proof you don't like waiting, I mean, order something online. They give you that tracking number. That's like, that's, that's, a, that's a gateway to like to worse things. It's like, it's not just that you check it once. It's like checking it multiple times a day. It's like it hasn't left the shipping facility yet. You know, it's in Knoxville. It's not going to be here in 20 minutes. I mean, I've never done that. Never hit refreshed on the FedEx. I've never put in the tracking number to find the USPS tracking information because Amazon's aggregate tracking information isn't as up to date. I've never done that. Who would do that? Who would do that? You know you don't like waiting when you're driving and uh, you're stuck in traffic and you're eyeing this lane next to you and you get in that lane because you're like, clearly it's going faster. Only to look back at the lane you left and go, well, now that's going faster. Oh, now I got to get back over there. And you're just weaving your way back and forth traffic. And I feel like losing significant chunk of ground each time, but we're just, it feels faster, right? You know, you're like waiting, you, you, your friend gives you a book and you get sucked into it. So you end up reading all five books of the series, super excited to find out how it ends out because you know there's two left, only you finish the fifth book and you find out the author hasn't written the sixth and seventh book yet and he's five years into not having written the sixth book yet and he might die first. <laughs> not cool, friend, who gave me that book. But really, I think the, the ultimate example of knowing we don't like waiting is, say your Wi-Fi goes out. That's not even to say anything else. It's like, that's it. So your Wi-Fi goes out. You need to look something up, and so you pull out your phone, and all you have is 4G, and you just see the little wheel of death, and you're like, this, you know what? It's not even worth it. We're not going to grandma's house tomorrow. <laughs> like, we don't want to wait. We don't like waiting, but sometimes waiting is the very thing that God wants us to do. Sometimes waiting is the place where God has you. So what do we do when God is telling us to wait. We're going to look into that this morning as we continue our series on purpose, looking at the life of Joseph. If you were here the last two weeks, you know that it started out with jo Adam talked about Joseph's brothers uh, sold him. Well, first they wanted to kill him, and then they were talked down into merely faking his death and selling him into slavery, because I guess that's like less bad in their minds. And then uh, Joseph, so Joseph sold into slavery, he's bought by this Egyptian, and he rises up to a position of prominence in his house, and then as the guy's wife tries to seduce Joseph, only Joseph's a man of integrity, he won't do that, so she falsely accuses him. So now Joseph's in prison. I mean, that's where we're picking this up. Joseph is in prison behind bars like these. And God has him waiting, and what we're going to look at this morning is three aspects of that. The first one is this, waiting can be painful. Waiting can be painful. Where we start this story, Joseph's in prison and he's risen to a position of prominence because that's what Joseph does. Everywhere he's put, he, he does it well and he, he's, in, he's trusted. And so he's this position of prominence in the jail and the chief cupbearer and chief baker of the Pharaoh uh, do something that ticks Pharaoh off and they get sent to prison. And Joseph is put in charge of caring for these guys. Now, it's important to know up front that that sounds like two people on his cooking staff. Chief cupbearer, chief baker, but really those are significant positions. Those would be noblemen who were counselors and advisors to Pharaoh. They likely had significant political influence. 
So these are movers and shakers, and Joseph's put in charge. We don't know what they did, but they did something, and Pharaoh's ticked, and so Joseph's put in charge of, of taking care of them. While they're there, they have these dreams, and Joseph sees them, and, and he's like, what's up? Why do you guys look worried? And they're like, we had these dreams, these crazy dreams. And I don't, like, he doesn't know what his means. I don't know what mine means. Like, we don't know what we're doing. And Joseph says, interpreting dreams is God's business. All right, go ahead, tell me your dreams. Like, let, me, uh, let me see how I can help. And so the chief cupbearer goes first. He goes, okay, uh, I had a dream, and that I saw a grapevine in front of me. And the vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced a cluster of ripe grapes. And I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand. So I took a cluster of these grapes and squeezed the juice in the cup, and then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So what's that mean? What? <laughs> like, what does that mean? I don't know. What did you eat last night? What does that mean? But Joseph knows because God is, is speaking to him and speaking through him, and God has given Joseph this insight. And so Joseph tells him, here's what it means. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as chief cupbearer. The guy's got to be going, all right, that's a pretty good dream. Okay. And so the baker hears this, and he's like, I want in on that. I, ha- I also had a crazy dream. Could you also make it turn out to be awesome for me? So he tells his story. I had a dream, and, and it, in it there were three baskets of white pastry stacked on my head. We're like, again, like, what? The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. Seriously, they need to check the water in this prison. Like, that, that's, that's weird. Like, that's this crazy dream. And so Joseph says, okay, I, I have an answer for you too. He says, three baskets also represent three days. And at this point, the baker's going, okay, I like where this is headed. And Joseph says, in three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. The birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Less good than the first guys. Less good. Joseph interprets these dreams. And all he asks in return And really, he only asked the first guy because he's like, hey, I have a question for both of you. It's really just for you because we know this guy's not going to make it. (laughs) He says in uh, in Genesis 40, chapter, sorry, Genesis 40, uh, verse 14 to 15, he says, and please remember me, this is the cupbearer, and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place for I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison and I did nothing to deserve it. Remember me. Remember me. Because Joseph doesn't feel like anybody's looking out for him right now. Remember me. Sometimes we can read these stories and kind of whitewash them and go, well, you know, it must not have been that bad. I mean, he was, he was in a position of influence. It can't, you know, it's not, not a big deal. Um, he seems fine. But we got to remember, like, this is, this is an Egyptian prison. This is not a good place. We know he doesn't want to be there because he says, please help me get out of here. Prison is not a place we want to go. And I can imagine it's only harder when you know you didn't do anything to belong there. Joseph's saying, this was unjust. I didn't do anything and I'm stuck here. Can you please mention me to Pharaoh? Maybe I can get out. He doesn't want to be where he is. Because waiting can be painful. It's painful right now. This isn't happy fun time. He doesn't want to be there. He's stuck. He wanted to get out. 
He's been here for a while. And remember, Joseph's story has been a series, it's like Joseph, a series of really unfortunate events. It's like bad stuff keeps happening to him. That's got to be weighing on him. He wants to get out. What kind of prison do you feel stuck in? What kind of prison? Maybe for you it's a dead-end job. Maybe for you it's a loveless marriage. Maybe it's financial trouble. Maybe it's a, a cycle of abuse. Maybe it's the grip of addiction. Maybe it's a poisonous relationship. Maybe you're feeling beaten down by criticism and negativity. Maybe it's just simply a mundane life, something much less than you thought you'd be living. What prison do you feel stuck in? Where do you want to get out? Waiting can be painful. And we need to acknowledge that it can be painful. Because when we paint this picture that it's, it's all happy-go-lucky, super fun hour, it just, it's unrealistic. We need to be able to say that it's hard when God will ask us to do hard things. Because if we don't, then we, we live with this idea that God should do everything I want whenever I want it. But God says he loves us enough to allow us to go through things that are hard to bring about what he wants to bring about in our lives. We need to acknowledge that waiting can be painful because it is. We need to acknowledge that because when we pretend that it's not, everyone around us thinks we're lying. We need the freedom to go, this is hard. I'm struggling. I love how this one author describes waiting. He says, for many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. Waiting can be painful. Second thing that we see in, through the story of Joseph is that waiting requires faith. Waiting requires faith. He asks the baker to remember him, right? or the, the cupbearer to remember him. When you get out, please you know, remember me. And we pick up the story in verse 20. It says, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later. And so they prepared this banquet, right? They prepared this banquet. And he summons his chief cupbearer and his chief baker, joined the other officials, and he restored the chief cupbearer. And so maybe at this point, the baker's going, maybe Joseph was wrong. This is pretty good. But no, no, because the rest of the verse says the baker was impaled on this thing, like he said, just as Joseph had predicted. So it's like, nope, still turned out really poorly for the baker. Really poorly for the baker. But... Chapter 40 ends with verse 23. The cupbearer is restored to a position. He says, the cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Forgot all about Joseph. The very next chapter starts, right? The next verse in this is chapter 41, verse 1, which says, Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. What that means is that nothing happened for two years. Joseph sat and waited for two years. He'd already been in prison before these guys came, and then it says they, they were together for a time, and so that's more waiting. And now two years, two years passed. If we had to write what happened in between the last verse of chapter 40 and the first verse of chapter 41, if we had to write what happened in those two years, what would it look like? What would it look like if we wrote that? I imagine we'd use words like disappointed, sadness, frustration, anger, bitterness. I imagine we'd use words like that. 
as we sit there and go, I can't believe it's happened again. I've been forgotten. Is there anyone on the planet who cares about me right now? What must that have felt like? What must that have felt like? The only way we can make it through that kind of stuff is through faith, but we put our faith in the wrong things. Because when we experience stuff like this, our default is we look to ourselves, like, well, now I'll fix it. I just got to fix it. But the problem is, if we could fix it on our own, we wouldn't have ended up in this situation to begin with. And so then we look to others, like, well, maybe somebody else can help me fix it. And and we turn and want to invite other people, you know, maybe you can get me out of this thing. And, And that's not where God wants us to aim. Now, I'm not saying that people are bad. Don't leave here saying I shouldn't trust other people. That's what Josh said. No. What I'm saying is that God calls us to trust him first, to put faith in him first. Psalm 118 verses 8 to 9 says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 22 says this, don't put your trust in mere humans. They are as frail as breath. What good are they? And Jeremiah 17, 5 to 7 says this really well. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. That's what God wants for us. God's not saying don't trust people here because people are the worst. God loves people. We're called as as followers of Jesus in other places to experience community and live life with others. What he's saying is seek God first because when we seek others, we're looking for a temporary solution to an eternal problem. When we seek God first, we find the answer that we're really looking for. God wants us to look to him first because what he knows is I'm the only one that can get you through this. I'm the only one that can bring you hope. I'm the only one who can make a forever difference. Waiting requires faith, the right kind of faith, not faith in people, but faith in God, because even the best people will fail you. Even the best people will fail you. That's why when I do premarital counseling with people, it says the other person can't complete you because if you look to the other person to fill those holes in your life, you will never find what you're looking for. They will never be enough for you. But if we look to Jesus first, if we look to him, if we allow God to fill that emptiness, then we can bring ourselves to this other person in this relationship and not have to to be there all. We can't do that. People will fail you, even the best people. Because we're broken and imperfect and we just can't get it all together all the time. People will mean well but will let you down. And if your hope is found in other people, that disappointment can lead to despair. I think God also knows that when someone helps you, you're naturally drawn to be grateful to them. You appreciate that, right? You, 
what they did was significant for you. And so it can be easy to see that person as the source of the blessing and give them all the credit and to fixate on them as the one who saved you. Imagine a situation where you've struggled and every action to change the situation has failed. Every effort and the effort of others, they don't seem to make a difference. Imagine that situation. And now imagine into that situation that God intercedes and rescues you. When God changes your situation and your life in ways you can't even imagine that you didn't think were possible, in that situation, you can't help but be overwhelmed with thanks and gratitude for a God who stepped into your life. God wants us to look to him in these situations because he knows he's the only one that can do what we're looking for. He's the only one who can fill that need, who can fill that longing, who can fill that emptiness. We trust in ourselves and we trust in others, but God wants us to trust in him. Just because we forget doesn't mean that God forgets. Just because we forget doesn't mean God forgets. The Old Testament is full of examples of God remembering his people, where they forgot, but he remembered. He remembered his promises to them. He was faithful, even when they didn't deserve it. Joseph had a lot of reasons to not trust anyone. If there's someone who ever had a reason to have like these major trust issues, it's this guy. I think when you go out with your brothers and, and they end up faking your death and throwing you into a pit to sell you to, into slavery, that's a fair reason to have trust issues. I think that's reasonable. That could have easily spilled over into, into a distrust of God. But instead of that driving him away from God, that hurt and that disappointment drove him closer to God. What does it do for you when you experience those things? We need faith when we wait because faith changes the way we approach everything. Everything. Difficult times strengthen us because we know we're not alone and that God is at work Good times humble us and draw us closer because we see him blessing us and working things out for our good. God hasn't told Joseph exactly how this story would play out. All Joseph knew is that he could trust God. He could put his faith in him. And Joseph trusted God not because of what God would do for him, not because of what God could do for him, but because he is God and he's worthy of trust. Joseph didn't allow his heart to get bitter. He knew the only way he could endure this waiting is to have faith that God knew was present, was with him. The last thing we see is that waiting is the way out. Waiting is the way out. After Pharaoh has this dream, and it's this crazy dream, he tells some people, He's like, I don't know what's going on. He has this dream that seven fat, healthy cows climb up out of the Nile, and after them, seven thin, scrawny, disease-ridden cows walk out of the Nile and eat the fat cows. What? Like, there's some crazy stuff here. And he wakes up, as I would, you know, be like, what just happened? He goes back to bed, and then he has another dream. That, that a stalk of grain sprouts up and seven healthy heads of grain show up on this stalk. But then underneath it, seven weathered, seven worn out, seven dying heads of grain are underneath it. And they were shriveled, but they devour the fat, healthy grains. 
And he wakes up again. As a, at that point, it's like, I'm not going back to bed. What's on Netflix? Because right? I mean, that's some messed up stuff. So he gathers his wise men. He gathers his magicians. He gathers his people. He goes, somebody's got to tell me what's going on. And nobody has a clue. And I find that fascinating because there's no one in that group that's ambitious enough to make something up. There's no one in that group that wants to take a swing and be like, well, I'm just going to make this crazy and broad enough. I mean, it's bound to be applicable somehow, right? I think that's proof that God is working in this story. No one even takes a swing. And so there's this empty void that the Pharaoh wants to know what's going on. And so into that moment, the cupbearer goes, oh, wait a minute, right. Uh, I met this guy two years ago who interpreted my, I also had a crazy dream. And like everything turned out exactly how he said, you should talk to that guy. And it's like, get two years late, cupbearer. But they bring Joseph out. Pharaoh sends for him. And Joseph comes right away and he stands there. Pharaoh says this, I had this dream. I don't know what's going on. And I hear that you can tell me what to do. And Joseph has a chance to say, you're right. I know this stuff. I'm, I'm an expert in this. I can tell you and maybe secure his freedom, right? But listen, listen to what he says here. He says, it's beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph had a chance to take credit for something that could end his waiting. But instead he said, no. I'm going to be faithful. And Joseph explains. He says, God's telling you that you're going to have seven years of abundance, seven years where the crop is going to be amazing, and then you're going to have seven years of severe famine. And so save in the, in the seven years of abundance to prepare for the seven years of famine. Store up the, this extra grain so that there's food when people go hungry. And Pharaoh says, that's an amazing idea. And he says in Genesis 41, 37 to 40, his suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the spirit of God. People were so compelled that they, they knew something was not just different about Joseph, but about his God. It's powerful. Pharaoh tells Joseph, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are, which is a really nice compliment he says, you'll be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on the throne will have a higher rank than you. And you might be wondering, what does that mean? Pharaoh clarifies in the next verse when he says, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And this is the point in the story where you should all be going like, whoa. The dude woke up in prison. And now he ends the day as Pharaoh's right-hand man. He's gone from the prison to the palace, from prisoner to prime minister, from powerless to powerful. His life has radically changed in a day. And Pharaoh tasks him with fulfilling this plan that he put in motion. And we see at the end of this chapter that, that it happens just like he said it would happen. Thirteen years Joseph spent from slavery till this moment. Thirteen years. Thirteen long, lonely years. But the waiting was the way out. Waiting was the way out. What a dramatic moment. I mean, we see here right now for the first time, the first glimpses of the plan that God has been working out we see that back when he had this dream that he'd be raised up to a position of authority and his parents would bow down, we're starting to see God 
put that plan into motion and flesh that out. He's, God has raised him up. Joseph had felt like he was forgotten, but what God says is, I have remembered you the whole time, the whole time. Waiting wasn't accidental. It was an important part of God's plan. The waiting was purposeful and intentional and necessary. Because folks, feeling forgotten is not the same as being forgotten. Feeling forgotten is not the same as being forgotten. Joseph felt forgotten, but God never forgot who he was. If you've been following the news at all, you know that in Thailand there was a, a dramatic scene played out over the last couple of weeks. Three weeks ago, 12 boys between the ages of 11 and 16 went out with their soccer coach exploring a cave and they got trapped by rising floodwaters. These are young kids. The waters rise and they can't get out and they're trapped on this little ledge of land 15 feet above these rising waters. It's pitch black. They run out of food after three days. They survive from then on by licking the water that drips down the limestone walls. Imagine what that felt like. They get trapped and a couple hours in they figure, hey, people will come find us. And then a little bit later, it's like, hey, maybe not today, but they'll be here tomorrow. How do you even tell when days begin and end when it's pitch black? Maybe the next day, they're like, well, people will come today. And by the third day, when they're running out of food, it's like, that's okay. Maybe people will come today to bring us food. But by the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, no one's coming. No one's coming at all. They must feel forgotten. What must that be like? Imagine if that was you. Imagine if that was your children. They must have felt forgotten. No one knows where we are. No one knows how to get us. Imagine coming face to face at the age of 11 with your impending death by starvation or drowning in a cave. They must have felt so forgotten. But that's because they didn't know that this was going on outside. They didn't know that more than 9,000 volunteers showed up from around the world. People from many different countries showed up and worked around the clock to rescue them. They didn't know that until the later on the ninth day when divers showed up and found that they were all okay. They didn't know that there was a plan going on. Even then, when they find out people know where we are, how do we get out? They say, you know, we can't take you just yet. They don't know that there's a plan going on to come together to get them out of there. They don't understand the intricacies of it. It's easy to feel forgotten, but they weren't. They didn't understand that a plan had been going on while they were inside the entire time. The entire time. We want to find our own way out. Waiting is the way out. The waiting is purposeful and intentional and necessary. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, but they who wait for the Lord, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Joseph could not possibly know this was how the situation was going to resolve. He couldn't possibly know what God was going to do, but he knew that this was God's doing. He looked to him and gave him credit at every opportunity. He knew that God was at work for his sake. Why is it so hard for us to believe the same? Why is it so hard for us to believe the same? When we wait, it can be painful. 
We can feel lost. We can feel forgotten. We can wonder if we're ever going to get out, if life is ever going to get better. We can wonder if our situation is ever going to change. But what this story shows us is a theme that's common throughout the Bible that we can know with absolute assurance that God is doing something. Absolute assurance that God is doing something. If you're waiting right now, what is God teaching you in the waiting? What's God teaching you? What does he want to understand? What does he want you to understand? What does he want you to learn? What's he trying to to draw out of your heart? What's he trying to get you to let go of? How's he trying to shift your view back to him? What is God trying to teach you in the waiting? I don't know why you're waiting. I don't know what that, that feels like for you right now, but what I can tell you is that God is doing something, absolutely doing something. What's God teaching you in the waiting? The second question for you to think about is, what's God asking of you in the waiting? What's he asking of you? What's he want you to do? What's he want you to let go of? What's he want you to surrender? Where does he want you to, to cling to him even more? What is he asking of you? Prison can feel like where you're waiting, right? Prison can feel like where you're waiting. Where you feel stuck. Where you feel trapped. Where you feel forgotten. It can feel hopeless standing back here behind the bars. We can wonder if we'll ever get out, if life will ever get better. What's your prison? We've all got something. What's your prison? What leaves you feeling stuck right here? Is it self-image? Is it identity? Is it discouragement with how your life has turned out? Is it fear? Is it pain? Is it abuse? Is it frustration with your inability to change? What's your prison? This can feel like such a hopeless experience. We can get stuck in this moment and think, I will be here forever. But there's good news. God is at work, and he has been the whole time. The hope of the gospel is that this prison has no power to hold us, that these bars have no power to hold us because the God of the universe knows us and loves us, and he sent his son to set us free, to break us out. This is not where we're stuck. You don't have to stay here anymore. Normally in these stories that we read, people have flaws. These people mess up, and so we can relate to them and their brokenness and their mistakes, and we can see ourselves in in that. But here, Joseph did everything right. He did everything right, and he's been faithful, and yet still he endures this stuff. And so one, we got to say, how could that possibly not be true of us? I mess up. I make mistakes. How could I expect anything less? Joseph was obedient and faithful and he trusted in God and yet he was still mistreated. He reminds us of another who did everything right and yet was mistreated and falsely accused. Who remained obedient and faithful in the most difficult situation imaginable. Who God raised up to overcome pain and even death to sit at his right hand. Joseph points to Jesus, the perfect rescuer. 
Joseph points to Jesus, the perfect rescuer that God would send to deliver people out of despair into hope, out of prison into freedom, out of death into life. Like the thief on the cross next to Jesus when he died, we can feel stuck, we can feel trapped, we can feel forgotten. But like that thief, we can ask Jesus to remember us and know that Jesus says, I will. I will. Because of Jesus, we can look at this prison in our life and say, I'm not a prisoner anymore. Because of Jesus, I'm not a prisoner anymore. What prison has Jesus broken you out of? What prison do you need Jesus to break you out of? I love this line from John Ortberg. He says, biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be.